0: Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. You ever feel like an outsider? Maybe maybe at some point in your life you felt like an outsider, maybe when you were going to school. I remember when I was 14 years old, uh, my parents had bought a new house. We had moved from Santa Ana, California to Orange, California. And for me, that was a big deal because we had lived in the same home for 14 years. And uh, we lived in Santa Ana. We lived in the same apartment complex. I had the same group of friends for 14 years. And all of a sudden, I was being moved to a different town. And when you move to a different town, that means moving and Changing schools, and one of the things that happened is the schools used different verbiage to describe their classes. So when I was going to school in Santa Ana, I, I remember the last math class I took was math topics three. And when I went into uh, when I went into high school when I was 14 years old at El Medida High School, they didn't use that terminology in junior high, so they had a hard time figuring out which class I was supposed to go in. The other classes made sense, and the other classes was pretty simple for them to figure out, because they were language arts, and they were science, and they were PE, or the other classes. When it came to math, they gave me the benefit of the doubt. They put me in a class that I had no business being in, and I remember they were doing algebra two, and I had only done pre-algebra in my former junior high, and I was uh, sitting in that class, and I felt like an outsider. They were talking a language I couldn't understand. They were doing things I couldn't understand, and after that first day of school, I went home and I said, I think either they've made a big mistake, or I didn't know as much as I thought I should know about math, but I felt like an outsider. You ever feel like an outsider? Maybe it's because you're in a different culture. For those of you who've traveled perhaps outside of the country and you've been in experiences and places and all of a sudden uh, you are no longer the majority. In fact, you're the minority and you're the outsider. Today we're going to look at a passage of scripture where Paul explains what it means to be insiders and outsiders. And there's a temptation when we read through Ephesians chapter 2 to treat this portion of scripture as a story and a narrative about them and a story that happened a long time ago. And what I want you to do for just a few moments is I want you to ask God to say, Lord, what about this narrative applies to me today? Because we believe in the Bible. We believe that the word of God is quick, active, and alive. And one of the things we believe about the Bible is that it has relevance and meaning and significance for us today. And so as we read through this story, through this narrative of Ephesians chapter 2, I don't want us to succumb to the temptation that we view this as a story about them when it's really about us. Paul writing to the Ephesians from prison he had spent some time in ephesus and he's written to explain the gospel what is the gospel how does our life fit into god's master plan and so as we read through the gospel one of the things that we have come to and if you're taking notes you can follow along we've come along to this truth that if the gospel doesn't impact your relationships you are living an incomplete version of the gospel This study is about the gospel story and how it reshapes every single part of our story. And so last week, we began this conversation about a reconciled family. And by way of review, we said this, that the reconciliation is the restoration of relationship between two parties who are at odds. So the restoration of relationship, the restoration of friendship, when enemies who... Uh, Where once enemies are now friends, one family who are once alienated are now restored. What was lost has now been brought together. It's the it's the shalom of relationships. That word shalom is used in the Bible to uh, denote this oneness, this wholeness, the peace of God, the shalomness. And so, this is the shalomness of relationships. And what we have come to find out is this, that a new, restored, and reconciled family consists of people who are former insiders and former outsiders. So we'll begin in Ephesians chapter number two. You can follow in your notes, or if you have the Bible app, you can go to the events section and follow in our notes there. Ephesians chapter two in verse 11 says this, therefore... Remember that formerly you are, you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Right off the bat, we're seeing Paul use some words we're, we're not familiar with that we don't probably use in our everyday language. He's going to be using these words uh, to denote two people groups, and he's describing them as Jews and Gentiles. The circumcised and the uncircumcised. In other words, the insiders who would be the Jewish people and the outsiders. This morning I I put on my Dr. Seuss socks, for those of you who are interested. Um, Oh, the places you go. Uh, Libby and I are going on vacation this week, so I thought that was appropriate. I came to the office and I began going over the notes for this morning. And I remember uh, one of Dr. Seuss's lesser known books is called The Sneetches. In case you don't remember the story, the Sneetches are tall, yellow creatures who live on beaches. And in Dr. Seuss's story, these creatures are divided into two groups, those who have green stars on their bellies and those who don't have green stars. Now, the green star Sneeches comprise the in-crowd. If you had stars on your belly, you were the in-crowd. They build exclusive campfires around which they sing their songs and Those without the green stars on their belly, they're the outsiders. They're the ones on the outside looking in. They're the losers. But one day, a fix-it-up chappy, as Dr. Seuss describes him, named Sylvester McMonkey McBean, he comes to town with this this contraption called the star-on machine. And for just $3, sneetches can line up and get green stars on their bellies. Naturally, all the no-star sneeches jump at this chance, and so what happens is the in-crowd snitches are no longer distinct. And this upsets them very much, but Silver, Sylvester Monkey McBean, he also has a star-off machine. So for $3, you can get the star put on your belly, but then for $10, you can have your star removed. Which defied you as an which defined you now as an in, in person now, removing the star, distinguishing yourself brand new. And so Dr. Seuss says this in his book neither the plane nor the star bellies knew whether this one was that one or that one was this one, or which one was what one or what one was who. I practiced that this morning. <laughs> Insiders and outsiders. And it's interesting what happens in our soul when for once in our life we feel like insiders. And we walk a little bit taller and we are a little bit more confident. And then for one reason or another we're placed in a position and maybe it's because you're in a math class where everything's above your head. Or maybe you go to a foreign country and all of a sudden you're the minority. But you find yourself in a position where all of a sudden you're the outsider again and for some reason something in our heart tells us this I wonder what it would be like to be an insider again Jews and Gentiles that's the terminology Paul is using the circumcised and the uncircumcised citizens and foreigners and this division of insiders and outsiders still exists today and if we're being honest we see a need for reconciliation between people groups today wouldn't you say those communities that are divided by color those friendships that are divided by politics those relationships that are divided by whether or not you're a dog person or a cat person There are layers to this reconciliation. First and foremost, reconciliation begins with God and the individual, but there is a need for reconciliation between people groups as well, and that would apply to our world and our society today. So today we see the biblical response to those divisions that are expressed in scripture today. We read verse 11. Let me read it for you one more time. Neither the Therefore, remember that formerly you are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Verse 12, remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise without hope and without God in the world. From the Gentiles' point of view, we see that they're in a desperate place. They're strangers. They're without Christ. They're without God. They have no hope. They're Christless. They're friendless. They're without. And not only were the Gentiles spiritually dead, we looked at that in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, they also did not enjoy the access that the Jewish people enjoyed. So this morning, what does it mean to be included into a reconciled family? We're going to unpack this for a few moments. What does it mean? Well, first of all, it means being included in a reconciled family means we are in Christ Jesus. Say those three words, in Christ Jesus. Look at Ephesians 2 verse 13. But now in Christ you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's read that verse together. Ready, begin. blood of Christ. This is Paul's most often used phrase in his letter. He uses this phrase more than any other phrase, in Christ Jesus. To magnify the weight of this phrase, I want to turn to the the history of the Chinese language. It's incredibly difficult to learn. It's the foundation. uh, The foundations of the language are very beautiful. And even in the infancy of the language, it points to Jesus Christ. Now, the Chinese language is comprised of these ideograms and these ideograms have words that are constructed from simple pictures and when they're combined they form these words called radicals. For instance, you would take in the English language, you would take two words and you would put them together and create a new word. You would take the word fire and the word truck. And when you combine them together, you have a new word called a fire truck. So in the Chinese language, they would take these symbols that would represent different ideas, and when you bring them together, they represent a brand new idea. Now, historically, what we can tell is that the earliest Chinese writings go back to about 2500 B.C. I want you to think about the timeline, 2500 B.C. This is a full hundred years or so before Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. In your notes, there's three radicals or symbols in Chinese language here so these are you can make notes here on your paper these are the radicals or the symbols for this these words vessels the second one is the word for eight and the second one or the third one is the word for people vessels eight and people And when you combine these three radicals together, it produces this symbol. In fact, if you look real close, you can see vessel is on that left-hand side. You see it? Eight is on the upper right-hand, and people is on the lower right-hand corner. And when you combine these words together, you get this. You get a big boat. Now think about it. 2,500 years before Christ. A hundred or years or so before Moses. The Chinese language embedded into their language that we're going to take the word for vessel. We're going to take the word for people. We're going to take the number eight. And when we combine them together, it's going to represent for us a big boat. Now, I don't know about you, but if you had a big boat, you'd put up a lot more than eight people. Like, why wouldn't the word 3,000 be in there to represent that? You could hold a lot of people. Well, if you know the biblical story of Noah, Noses, Noah built a vessel that had eight people in it, and it was a big boat. Isn't that fascinating? We're going to do one more. These are two more radicals. The word on the left is the symbol or the radical for lamb or sheep, and the one on the right is the word for me. And when you put these two words together, you form this. And you got to look real closely, but me is uh, is under, right? You see that? Wait, is that right? Yeah, 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 yeah that's right. And then the lamb. The top portion is on top, and the bottom portion is actually just right on top of the word for me. So it's the lamb that's over me. And in the Chinese language, 2,500 years before Christ, this is the word for righteousness. I don't want you to miss this, man. That even embedded into the Chinese language 2,500 years before Christ is this Unbelievable doctrine that says that when you put the lamb over me, you see righteousness. You no longer see me and my fault. You no longer see my guilt and my shame. Praise the Lord when the lamb is over me and Christ looks down. He sees me in Christ Jesus. The word for me there is actually a uh, is a combined radical of itself with someone who is holding a lance or a dagger And it conveys the idea that my hand will kill the lamb and the result of my actions will be righteousness. The lamb is on top of me. And so whenever God looks down at you, this is what He sees, the perfect lamb of God covering you. What does being reconciled in God's family means? It means that we are in Christ Jesus. Secondly, this morning though, being included into a reconciled family means we are near Ephesians 2 and verse 13 again says this, but now in Christ Jesus, you who, are, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Man, to be without Christ is a terrible faith. To be without Christ means to be without spiritual best blessings. To be without light. To be without peace. To be without rest. Without safety. Without hope. And to be without Christ means we, we were far away. And this verse so beautifully paints for us the picture that now we are near. So I want you to think of these Gentiles, these outsiders who are now in Christ Jesus. They're no longer far off. And the blood of Jesus Christ accomplishes this. The reconciliation only happens in Jesus Christ. Boy, the, po- the point of what Paul is trying to get us to understand is this is the great love, the great mercy that God has on us that it points to not only what happens when we come in Christ, but also the fact that we are no longer far away. Being included in a reconciled family means we are in Christ. It means we are near, but it also means that we have been brought together. We've been brought together together. Look at verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. Look at what Paul is saying. He's saying God himself is our shalom, our Peace. He is the one that brings everything together. In fact, he makes those two groups now one. What was formerly Jews and Gentiles, formerly insiders and outsiders, are now part of the same reconciled family. He goes further and says they've destroyed, God has destroyed the barrier. So whatever was preventing us from being together has been destroyed, that dividing wall of hostility. This is something our world needs, isn't it? The message that the wall of hostility has been destroyed. The barrier that once was up when Christ died on the cross, God Himself is now our peace. And He's setting aside the flesh, the law, with its commands and regulations. He goes on to say this, His purpose was to create in Himself one new humanity out of the two one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. O child of God, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity. Remember, we looked at uh, Ephesians chapter 1, and we talked about how uh, the, one of the, the mystery of God is that God was going to bring everyone to himself, and part of this picture he's painting for them is, boy, you once, you once were Jews first, and then you were everything else. You once were Gentiles first, and then you were everything else. But now I have destroyed that barrier, God says. I have removed this wall of hostility, and now we have been brought together. One new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. Jesus himself is our peace. Here's the thing, church. The evidence of our reconciliation with God will be our reconciliation with one another. Our evidence of reconciliation with God will be our reconciliation with one another. And if in our life there is no reconciliation with one another because our differences are way more important to us than uh, whose we are... And whatever those differences are in our life, whether it be the color of our skin or our politics or our, our background or our careers or experiences or our, our, our income, whatever differences we might have, as soon as we place them before Christ, the evidence of our reconciliation with God no longer exists. The work of Jesus on the cross is the common ground for every single one of us. In the temple, in the between the court of the Gentiles and the court of the women, there was a physical barrier. There was an actual wall of separation between Jew and Gentile. Think about that. Paul was, at the time of this writing, Paul is imprisoned in Rome awaiting trial because he was falsely accused by the Jews of taking a Gentile into the temple past the wall of separation. This is why Paul was in prison. Paul made it clear that in Jesus, the wall is gone, the wall of separation is gone because the common lordship is greater than any previous division. And any difference you have with others cannot have a greater influence on your relationships than the lordship of Jesus Christ. This includes whatever differences are going through your head right now. Right? What would you place in front of your description of being a follower of Jesus Christ? Whatever, whatever caveat you would put in front of that descriptor in your life ends up becoming this wall of hostility. So with permission, watch your toes. If you're a Republican or Democrat first, and then you are a follower of Christ, that is a wall of hostility. If I'm an Indian first, I was born in India, for those of you who don't know. If you're watching online, you don't know that. If I'm an Indian first and then a follower of Christ, that is a wall of hostility in my life. I went first, so now your turn. If you're an American first and then a follower of Christ, that is a wall of hostility. And what Paul is trying to get us to understand is that God has paid the price for that barrier, that difference, that wall of hostility to no longer exist. He's talking about a group of people who are once Jews and once Gentiles and once circumcised and once uncircumcised, citizen and foreigner, insider and outsider, and now they're worshiping in the same temple. Now they're worshiping in the same community. And what we have to embrace is that if there's any differences in our life that are greater, that have a greater influence on our relationships and the lordships of Jesus Christ, you need to check those at the door. So think about it from the Jewish point of view. You're talking about a people who, um, who had waited for a Messiah for years and years and years, generations and generations and generations. And the one comfort that they had as a people is that they had one another. The one comfort they had in Egypt as slaves is that they were in a group of people and they had some commonality. The one comfort they had when they were being taken over by different kingdoms whenever the kings fell, when you read through Samuel and Kings and Chronicles. The one comfort that they had is they had one another. The one comfort they had in first century Jerusalem as they were hearing about this Messiah that was coming. The one comfort that they had is that they had one another. They had to wait, and in agony they waited, in slavery they waited, in the wilderness they waited, during the Roman occupation they waited, and it was hard and it was difficult, but they had one another, and then all of a sudden, outsiders are now included to the party? You mean those families didn't have to go through generation and generation and generation of slavery and imprisonment and waiting, they they, they get to come inside now? They just get to waltz in. There's no waiting. Isn't there a probationary period? And I want you to think about it from the Gentile point of view. The Gentiles were looking at the Jews and said, man, you had this access this whole time? You mean you could go to the priest anytime you wanted? You you could get your sins forgiven? You had feasts and... And sacrifices available to you this whole time? You had the promise of a Messiah from your own people that would rescue you and save you this whole time? And now you want to criticize us for wanting to be included? Gentiles and Jews were brought together into one body where our unity in Jesus was far greater than any of our differences. I want to read from John 17. John 17 records Jesus's, a, a prayer of Jesus. And I write these verses down. I don't think I put them in your notes. But John chapter 17, verse 20 says this. So this is right before Jesus is betrayed, right before He's arrested. And He says this prayer. Father, I'm praying not only for these disciples but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. And here's his prayer. I pray that they all will be one. Just as you and I are one, as you are in my Father and I am in you, may they be in us so that the world will believe. So John's prayer in John 17 was not this beautiful, not just a beautiful poem in, and this beautiful, elaborate display of just wordsmithing by Jesus Christ. This was the honest prayer of the Son of God, who recognized that not only these disciples would have issues uh, with issues with their differences, but disciples down the road. When he thought about the the, uh, the the church in Ephesus being formed of of Gentiles and Jews, and he said, "Father, would you allow them to be one?" as you and I are one. And the reason for his prayer is so beautiful at the end of John 17 and verse 21. May they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. Not only is the evidence of our reconciliation with God our reconciliation with other. Our reconciliation with other is a sign to the rest of the world that we are His and when Christians have differences greater than their lordship of Jesus Christ, can I tell you what that does to the world? It says, man, whatever they have, I don't want any of it. If they allow politics to get in the way of their brotherhood of Christianity, well, politics must be way more important than their faith. If they allow social classes and the rich and the poor, that division to, to, to drive wedges in between Christians then maybe the almighty dollar is their faith and not the Lord Jesus Christ. Our evidence of our reconciliation with God will be our reconciliation with one another. It was a prayer that Jesus prayed knowing that His work on the cross would accomplish the answer. and a prayer, He was willing to pray knowing that His agony would be used to answer it. Ephesians 2, we could keep reading in verse 17, says this, He came and preached to you who are far away. I'm sorry, let me read that again. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. He's saying here both insiders and outsiders are in need Of reconciliation. He came and preached peace to those who were far away. He came and preached peace to those who were near. Verse 19 says this Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Boy, they enjoy the same access to God that comes by one spirit to the Father. Not only are Jews and Gentiles saved by the same gospel, but they also have the same essential walk with God and access to him. Our reconciliation to God and our reconciliation with one another should be the hope for reconciliation for our communities. Because now, look at verse 19 again, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but now we are fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets and Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Verse 21, in whom, in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. they are not only full citizens, but also full and equal members of God's household. Because we are one body and we have the same access, it allows all of us to be built upon this common foundation, and the common foundation is Christ and Christ alone. And as we keep to this common foundation, our reconciliation with God and with one another means as a church, Paul paints this picture that we are now three different things. In closing today, notice these things. First, our reconciliation with God and with one another means as a church, we are a building. Not 432 Southeast Kane Street, but we, our relationships with one another, our community, our fellowship, our worship together is a building, which means this, God is our architect. It doesn't say we meet in a building, but that we are a building. And this means that God is the great architect. It's not a haphazard pile of stones just dumped in a field, but God arranges the church for His own glory and purpose. He's our architect. We're not only a building, but we are a temple, which means this, we are set apart for a purpose. This tells us that the church is a temple, holy and set apart to God. We serve there. We offer worship. We sing praises and we gather we are set apart for a very specific purpose and our reconciliation with God finally is also a dwelling which means this is where God resides and he lives it's never to be an empty house that is a virtual museum with no one living on the inside it is to be both the place the living place of God and his people I thought about this this morning The difference between being an outsider and insider, in this context, is relationship. The difference between being an outsider and insider is relationship. Our differences, they're important. By no means do I mean to uh, dissuade anyone from what makes us different. I love that I'm Indian. I love that I was born in a different country. I love that when I was 20 years old, I chose to become a citizen because I love this country. I love that I have unique parts of my life that are just different than anyone else. And if you're being honest, and I'll tell you as your pastor, I'm being honest, you're all a little different too. (laughs) And I love it. We have Republicans and Democrats worshiping in the same sanctuary. We have people that were born in the United States and we have people that were born outside of the United States worshiping. We have people with different backgrounds that grew up from other states like California (laughs) worshiping in the same sanctuary. We have people with beautiful, beautiful heads of hair. Right, Mitch? And then us. Welcome to the, you come on over to our side, Steve, anytime. I do not mean to drive division by calling out our differences for the last few minutes. But I need you to, I need you to embrace that those have to be secondary. Paul says you, you're no longer Jews and Gentiles. You're no longer circumcised and uncircumcised. You're no longer are foreigners, you're no longer insiders and outsiders, by the grace of God, we are family. I'm not going to sing it, but we are family now. And the difference between insiders and outsiders is this, it's relationships. And praise the Lord for the son where we get to bond first as followers of Jesus Christ, amen? Amen. Let me give you two questions to think about today. Number one, where does reconciliation need to show up in your life? Where does it need to show up? There's a friend, there's a relationship, maybe there's a family member, where there's a wall of hostility. There's a barrier that exists. Where does reconciliation need to show up? What's the relationship? Is it a family member? Is it a friend? And here's the thing: I'm not asking you to call them today, but I'm going to ask you in a moment to give that relationship to God and to pray that you would submit and yield to the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit leads you. And that may result in a phone call. That may result in in calling me or Pastor Darren up or one of our elders and say, "Hey." I need you to pray with me about this relationship, but I know there needs to be reconciliation. I know there's a wall of hostility, there's a barrier. So where does it need to show up in your life? Then I would say number two, who are the outsiders that you need to let in? Who are the outsiders that you need to let in? Because while we once were foreigners, we're now citizens of God's household. And the reason we gather in a public and open space is for us to worship, it's for us to gather, it's to pray, it's to sing praises, it's to sit under the teaching, but it's also a place where we get to invite a community to see, this is what reconciliation looks like. This is what shalom looks like. This was what following Jesus looks like. So where does reconciliation need to show up? And who are the outsiders you need to let in? Let me pray for you this morning. Heavenly Father, we're grateful for the moments that we get to share. Fathers, we allow these questions to rest in our heart. I pray first and foremost that we would have the courage to be honest with you who knows our every thought anyway. I pray that we would be honest before a holy and a living God, understanding that you see our hearts and you know it, you know our thoughts. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward as we stay with our heads bowed for just a moment. The reason we do this, and if you're at home, I'd encourage you to just take the time. Don't log off quite yet. But just bow your head for some privacy. The reason we do that in our space at the conclusion of the message is to give you the chance to just reflect and respond to how God's leading you this morning. So as you are sitting there with your heads bowed first, where does does reconciliation need to show up? I want you to think about the relationship. Then we think about the friend, the brother, the sister. The child. Where does it need to show up? In your effort... To forgive, to pursue this relationship, to reconcile, might be the greatest living testimony that someone sees on who Jesus is and how Jesus reshapes every part of our life. So where does reconciliation need to show up? Just for a moment, let me pray for those relationships. Father, I'm thinking about brothers and sisters. I'm thinking about fathers and sons and mothers, daughters, friends, coworkers. And for some reason, we have allowed a wall of hostility, a division, a barrier to exist. And for whatever reason, we've said the difference is way more important than my relationship with you or my relationship with this person. And Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would soften our heart, that you would melt this heart of stone, and that you would allow the Holy Spirit to give way in our life on this specific relationship. And however you lead, whether it's to call maybe someone here at the church to, to, to pray over or get some counsel, or maybe it's a, a simple text or a hug or a phone call, but however you lead in this relationship, would you give us the courage to follow through? In church, who are the outsiders that you need to let in? Who's on the outside that you need to let in? God Almighty, we are grateful for reconciliation. Man, I'm so grateful for what you restore in our life. I'm so grateful that I'm not foreigner anymore but I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God I'm so glad that as children we are part of the same family and I pray that the testimony of this church would be that's where outsiders are welcome that's the place where outsiders come and they're embraced into the family into the kingdom of God God I pray for these relationships in our heart and in our life, I pray that as we submit and yield to you, that we would then be this beautiful, beautiful example of what the church should look like. Father, we think back to Jesus' prayer in John 17, and when we say, Lord, we want to be the answer to that prayer. We want to be one in you so that the world may, be- may know that we believe May our relationships relationships speak so loudly that they have no choice but to point people to you. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.